It's July 2nd, 1901, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So this was the day that the very first Zeppelin airship made its maiden flight. And this was the passion project of Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin, who was a German army officer who became really interested in the possibility of airship travel. He had constructed this airship and the first flight had to be aborted due to an engine failure and some other issues. And although he made a couple of other successful flights, investors were a bit wary and he was forced to liquidate his company. But he only went dormant for a few years before he was back and stronger than ever. I mean, it is the astonishing thing about the whole Zeppelin story that you've got people still coming back for more where it like the LZ2, the LZ3, the LZ4, they all crashed or had issues and and suffered great sort of problems that seemed as though they were going to be Mm. company ending. And yet... They flew again. Well, hold on. A few things there. One, he's an aristocrat, so company ending isn't really a problem, is it? I mean, you talk (laughs) about him liquidating the business. You also say, Rebecca, that he was interested in airships. Worth noting, he's interested in airships because at the age of 23, he went to meet the president of America to discuss his ideas just because he could, because he was a German aristocrat, and that's the kind of thing that you could do in open doors to discuss. He didn't even get round to designing what we now know as the Zeppelin until he fell off a horse in the army and had some time on his hands. He was just basically a (laughs) hobbyist. Right, he wasn't even an engineer. So he was just like, it was, there was a lot of money behind this. He retired at 52 from his army career and then just went off and did this whole astonishing other thing of like dabbling in massively expensive airships. Airships were one of those things that at the time were a bit of a fascination for eccentric amateur inventors. So they'd been working airships since the 1850s, but they were more like hot air balloons. They'd have a little platform underneath Mm. that a pilot and maybe a guest could go on. But the Zeppelin was the first one that could carry passengers, although you'd have to be quite a hardy passenger to want to go on it. The platform was suspended underneath and it was extremely cold. Even when the proper passenger services got going, all the passengers had to basically wear fur coats all the time. Because you were essentially, you know, if you think about it, an airship doesn't go anywhere near as high as a plane. So it doesn't Mm. have to be pressurised or anything. But as you can imagine, being several hundred feet in the air, it is extremely cold and windy and uncomfortable and very high risk that you will crash and burn. To be fair, loads of planes crashed as well in this early stage, Okay, okay, but... I think there were actually more plane crashes than there were airship crashes, certainly transatlantically. Yes, but there weren't that many airships. I did some quick maths on Wikipedia and... By my count, there were 121 Zeppelins completed between 1900 and 1937. And of those, only 35 met a natural end by being decommissioned. So that's like 80 or 90 airships that were literally just crashing and burning. And the other thing is, obviously, there wasn't very much room for passengers because almost all of the space of the airship is occupied by hydrogen. So the most famous and successful of the Zeppelin, the Graf Zeppelin, which was number 127, it made 590 flights between 1928 and 1937, including the first transatlantic airship flights, but it could only hold 24 passengers and 36 crew. So if you imagine that ratio, it meant that travel was accessible to like the smallest, wealthiest elite. A trip from Germany to Brazil yeah. would set you back about £8,000 in today's money. But something really strange happened between the LZ-1 and the LZ-4. The LZ-4 actually did crash. It it became untethered while it was being repaired and tore on treetops. But because it had made several successful flights, it sort of captured the German public's imagination. And the Count von Zeppelin was seen as a bit of a patriotic hero and millions of Reichmarks were raised 
for his business uh, and it became a bit of a national symbol which then okay then was came to a bit of a sticky situation in the mid 1930s when a chap you might have heard of called Adolf Hitler decided that the two most famous zeppelins the Graf Zeppelin and the Hindenburg of whom more later should be used to drop leaflets and play loudspeakers um, for the referendum which basically ended up allowing the Nazis to take over the German parliament it's amazing that we've got two months into a history podcast before mentioning Adolf Hitler <laughs> yeah. That's an achievement in itself. <laughs> I've done Hugh Laurie twice. Yeah. <laughs> the two Zeppelins toured around Germany, dropping millions of leaflets to people on the ground. And it was apparently seen as one of the reasons for the Nazi Party's success, aside from the fact that the vote was probably massively rigged. We should talk about why we think of Zeppelin when it comes to airships, when there were other airships, like what he managed to do that innovated things. One thing was, instead of there being a huge gas bag, there would be eight or nine smaller gas cells that could be contained and valved. So that means you can aid with descent, basically, by tweaking knobs. Because before that, the big challenge was, how do you steer this thing? <laughs> like, you compared it to hot air balloons earlier. Like, you couldn't put a steam engine on a hot air balloon because it was too heavy. So no one quite knew. Like, they'd had this technology for 100 years, but no one could work out how to steer it. So he did that. And the other thing was, he put an internal combustion engine inside that was made by... Daimler, the German engine manufacturer Daimler, who happened to live nearby him. This is again, it's one of these kind of mates rates things about his story. He, you know, he came from incredible wealth and he had mates who just happened to create an engine that perfectly works in an airship. So, I mean, that was the other thing is that by using the Daimler engine, they were able to steer and control it. That's what gave him a march upon the rivals by this time in 1900. So let's talk about the Hindenburg. All conversations eventually end up at this I destination. I know. <laughs> so initially, it seemed like it was going to be a big success story. It was the first passenger airship to have interior cabins, meaning it wasn't cold and drafty, and there was a lot more space. So it had a dining room, it had a bar, it even had a smoking room. Although, before you start poking fun at the ways of old-timey people, it was airlocked and it only had an electric lighter. So they were aware of the, the dangers of yeah. open flames. <laughs> Weird. Not worth the risk, I'd say, though, still. <laughs> no. Well, no. The weird thing is is that they were obviously mindful of the many fires and crashes of previous airships. Uh, so the Hindenburg was designed to use helium, which is much safer and less flammable than hydrogen. But the US was basically the only place extracting massive amounts of helium, and they had banned exports. So they had to go with hydrogen instead. So in July 1936, the Hindenburg completed a record-time Atlantic round trip between Frankfurt and Lakehurst, New Jersey, in 98 hours and 28 minutes. And then on May the 6th, 1937, the, it, its next season, because that was the other things, airships could only travel in good weather, basically. So on its next season, it was just about to land in Lakehurst, and it burnt up in literally seconds. Although, of the 97 people aboard, 62 people did survive because it was so close to the ground at the time. That is astonishing. I mean, having seen the footage, it really does look like it just goes up and then the whole thing is just a wreck on the ground within seconds. So it's amazing that people actually managed to get out. Yeah, I agree. I had no idea there were so many survivors. But reputationally, I think it's fair to say the airship was pretty damaged by that, wasn't it? I mean... Like, you ask the man in the street about airships, and that's probably one of the first words that comes to mind, isn't it, Hindenburg? Almost to the extent that I think it's become conflated with the Titanic, in that people almost think it was like the maiden voyage of the Zeppelin, 
the Hindenburg, and it wasn't. They'd been flying successfully for decades. Yeah, and it wasn't one of the most deadly airship disasters by far. There'd already been many other airship crashes where, you know, everyone or almost everyone on board had perished. So it wasn't even really the most dangerous, but it was the fact that it was captured on film, and obviously the very memorable commentary of Herbert Morrison, who was a CBS reporter who'd been dispatched to basically narrate the landing of the Hindenburg, and instead obviously ended up inadvertently capturing its destruction. Do you know there are some people that are trying to reanimate airships? No. Go on. In my neck of the woods, um, near Bedfordshire, there's um, a company called HAV who have been creating this thing that locally they've nicknamed the Flying Bum because it does look like some buttocks. But it is actually called the Airlander 10. And it's a hybrid of a plane and an airship that uses helium rather than hydrogen. So these days they've learnt that lesson, Rebecca. They've made sure it's helium. And it was originally developed as part of a US Army project that was then abandoned in 2012. And this British company have been converting the aircraft into something that they say will be able to carry 90 civilians by, I think they're now saying 2025, like the date always shifts. (laughs) But they reckon now, if you go on their website now and watch their promotional video, it's all about COVID-19 and about how the pausing of international air travel has made us realise what quiet skies look like. And they're basically betting on the idea that airships are the answer because they're quiet they're environmentally friendlier sort of although you have to source all that helium they don't have any emissions and they can be run off electric engines so they're actually still developing them they're looking for investment you know you can that's the sound of me going to their investment page (laughs) it can land on ice arian it can land on sand mark my words 2025 summer of blimps (laughs) next time I could not find any backup for this, but it said that 85% of bikinis never see the water. Love the show? Support the show! Patreon.com slash Retrospectors! Part of the ACAST Creator Network.